Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Predmore. This week, we chat about minimalism, and specifically, we rant about a couple of documentaries that we recently watched. Stay tuned. Well, hello, Megan. Hey, Steffi. I feel like it's been a while. I mean, for the podcast, it sure has. Yeah. For uh, you and me... It's not been that long. It's been a few hours. It's been a few hours. <laughs> I, so we have had some guys here doing some painting at our house. Um, they are very, very COVID safe. I trust these people 100%. Our friend owns the company. And they wear masks and all of the things. So don't at me. Anyway, but because the baby has a nap schedule and I have a very barky dog... I've been taking the barky dog over to Megan's house this week so that she does not just bark at the guys and their ladders and their paint rollers all day long while the guys are here painting. So Megan and I have been co-working this week. So I literally saw her like three hours ago. Yeah. It's been fun. It has been nice, actually. Yeah. It's been nice to have a little... A little co-worker for the week, because, <laughs> you know, my husband's not very exciting. I not mean, a very exciting co-worker. I love him dearly. They're good for other exciting. things, I suppose. They're, yeah, they're great for other things, but as co-workers, eh. <laughs> That's so. when everyone, they always say that they, like, work with their husband, like, on their website, and I was like, that sounds horrible. And you're like, how? Right. <laughs> Like, mm, no, I don't think so. So, Megan, since we last recorded, because it has been like over a month since we recorded a podcast, um, you added to your family. Our Instagram followers will know this, but if anyone doesn't follow us on Instagram, they don't know that. Yeah, we adopted a dog at the beginning of December. I love her so much. She, she's awake now, but she was conked out for a little while. Well, that's because she had some two big play dates with Anya this week. So, it's a lot. Yeah. Oh, she's laying down again, taking a nap. Yeah. She was <laughs> she was snoring like a buzzsaw earlier. Well, she's a pit bull, so. Yes, that's true. <laughs> she's uh she's pretty much a puppy herself. Um she's not had proper training, I don't think. Uh she she had a set of puppies. Um, when she, right when she went into foster care and we let the puppies, you know, grow up and get weaned and everything. And as soon as they were ready to go off to their own homes, we were able to bring her home. Yeah. And I think it was funny because I know sometimes when you bring home like new mama animals, like dogs or cats, sometimes they tell you like they might not know how to react when they've like just been separated from their kittens or their puppies or whatever. And with Mystery and then our cat Rue was the same way. I think you got them home and they were like, oh, yes, I can just be a baby now. I don't have yeah. to be a mom anymore. And they were just like, I'm the only dog here. This what? is great. <laughs> Yeah, she's such a sweetie. She's rambunctious and so loving and just wants to give you all. She loves hugs and wants to give you all the kisses. She's all such a good girl. Kisses. She's going to yeah. be really, you know, it takes a while. As someone who's had many rescues in my life, 
it takes a while for them to settle in after they've come home and to like for their full personalities to come out and all of their anxieties to kind of subside but she's gonna be a very 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 good she's already a very good dog but she's gonna be an exceptional dog when she settles in yeah and she already loves the boys and the boys love her so it's they're going really well yeah yeah i love that love it oh little mystery (laughs) i love her so much so we decided to start the year uh, talking about minimalism, I guess, because, you know, fresh year, people start thinking about yeah. making changes in their lives. Yeah, and I feel like that's uh, a lot of times people be like, I'm going to minimize my stuff or I'm going to downsize or I'm going to purge or I'm going to whatever as you know there's some of their new year's resolutions and so it seemed like a good time to talk about this topic while you know people are thinking of these things that's not to say and I think we talked about this last year when we talked about new year's resolutions like you can actually start a, a resolution any time of year it's true you anytime just any day of the year could be June 22nd, and you could be like, I'm going to start something new today. But sometimes it's nice to talk about these things when it's sort of top of mind for people. And we, interestingly enough, have a lot to say about minimalism for two people who are not exactly minimalists. Uh, that is true. Yeah. I, we're, not, <laughs> not, we're not minimalists, at least to the extent of like I don't, what, what we'll get into. But like... Yes. I think we are minimalists in areas of our lives but yeah. not in the like influencer sense of the word no and definitely not in like the um areas of our lives that encompass like kitchens or <laughs> no. our bookshelves Mm-mm. no absolutely not <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> but we have talked before about you know bringing things intentionally into your life yes so that's i mean this topic we've covered so maybe get a little bit more into like the actual minimalism thing and one of the reasons that the timing for this worked out so perfectly is that a a new a new documentary dropped at the beginning of the year yes that was actually a sequel to another documentary about minimalism and we got fired up about the topic yeah so we in preparation for this we watched both of these documentaries the first one is called uh, minimalism, a documentary about the important things. Uh, it was made in 2015. It is on Netflix. Um, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. It was directed by Matt Devella and produced by these, by him. And then these guys named Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn, who run a site called the minimalists. Um, and apparently the, this director, Matt Devella is also a minimalist himself um and then the one that just dropped on netflix like january 1st is called the minimalists less is now which is a title that makes me want to punch somebody um (laughs) and it is made by the same people so matt devell also directed it and then um it focuses even more heavily if it if possible um, then the first one on the minimalists, Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn. Yes. Um, and then 
it also the second one also brings in a couple some other experts uh dave ramsey is probably one of the most notable um experts we've talked about him before in our financial episodes he's a finance budgeting expert um and so they talk to him as well as a few other experts who i to be quite frank i've never heard of before um he was the only one that i had ever heard of so those are those are the two that we watched in preparation for this episode if you want to check them out um the first one was i think douchier than the second one (laughs) uh i mean i would yes i would agree with that um although i found the way i found the style of the second one to be really irritating i think because they were trying to be i I mean for both of them they were trying to be inspiring but i think in the second one um, because they were diving so much more into their actual personal history of like why they were doing it, mm-hmm. which I think should have been in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it came off like they were very like, I'm going to preach about this thing. And the way yeah. that they were talking to the camera. It was weird. It was weird. It was very strange. Um, and I'm not against necessarily the idea of what they're trying to espouse. Right. So, but, so let's talk about minimalism just sort of literally the foundation here um so when we're talking about minimalism we're not talking about art we're not talking about architecture we're talking about when people the the lifestyle that people will take on they will also say often say like i am a minimalist in their lifestyle where they are looking at paring down the amount of stuff in their life and only having the stuff that is like most necessary and oftentimes i think you see um when you're looking at people who are minimalists and have they have websites about it and they blog about it and they're influencers and stuff like that um, a lot of times they are also like shedding their corporate jobs and they are just going to a much simpler way of life in general so that gonna that go is live what, in a yurt yes they're gonna go live you're gonna go <laughs> live in a yurt off the grid like that kind of extreme minimalism is a lot of what we are talking about here yeah, and it sounds like based on what we've read, it it's it kind of it's like we mentioned it started. It, we mentioned the art thing. It's kind of started in the art thing, and then it kind of went a little bit more toward like the simple living thing and like the slow food movement and like mm-hmm. just intentional living in general. Mm-hmm. And somehow that idea of intentional living just became like get rid of all your stuff. Yeah, it kind of spiraled. Yeah, a little bit. And everything, if you if you watch this first documentary that we talked about, it's all very, they show their apartments and they're very like stark and white and empty. And they're like, I only own like five shirts and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like right. have one chair. And if you have a guest, then well, too bad because you only shit. have one chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some, um, there's some. There was some like culty aspects to the way they were talking about it in the first documentary, I think, mm-hmm. in particular. Towards the end of the second one, it got very 
They were reminding me of evangelical youth pastors that I have known. <laughs> I don't necessarily say that in a complimentary in a way. way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just, they were very like, I'm so cool and I got my long hair and I dress so cool and I got my black t-shirt and... But I'm going to lead you into my way of life. Like, the way that they were kind of preaching about it towards the end of the most recent documentary. But throughout the first one, just the way they were talking about it, there was it was almost culty to me. I remember when I watched the first one the first time, because I watched it a while ago. Uh, it made me so mad. I don't know why. Like, it just made me, like, viscerally angry. And I was like, I'm going to finish this, but I'm so angry right now. I'm so angry about it. (laughs) So, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. So I think that, I think we want to just say up front, like, again, there are absolutely aspects to more, to minimalism that we think are great. Particularly, and I think maybe less this, like, influencer style of minimalism but more intentional living like we've talked about this before like you know when it comes to the things that we bring into our homes like Megan and I we don't we're not like more is more kind of people um you know we don't want to just have a bunch of stuff I know like with our parenting like you know for example for me Eden is still young enough that I can kind of have a little bit of a grasp on and have a little bit more control over the stuff that's coming into our homes when it comes to like birthdays and Christmas. And so I was really trying to think about like, okay, what are toys that are going to grow with her and are going to last a while as opposed to just kind of like plastic crap that she's going to outgrow really quickly. Like if we're going to bring it into our homes, how can I be intentional about that? Um, you know, so there's absolutely aspects of this that resonate with us. Um, but there are definitely some things about the way that influencers portray minimalism that make us angry. So let's unpack that a little. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where to start? I mean, uh, first of all, I'm like, I think we, we I already talked about the stark whiteness, which is, yeah. it's, it's weird because it's, it's like a metaphor yes. for the stark whiteness yes. of minimalism. It is. It is so, it, it is just seems it, affluent white people. So I think, I think this yes. is where, I think this is where we really struggle with it and I actually found an essay in the New Yorker that was written or published at the beginning of 2020 um the it's titled the pitfalls and potential of the new minimalism um and it is actually it's a really interesting essay it's pretty long um but I pulled out a couple of quotes because they it really kind of hit the nail on the head for um I think where where we have problems with this. So the writer says, less is more attractive when you've got a lot of money and minimalism is easily transformed from a philosophy of intentional restraint into an aesthetic language through which to assert a form of walled off luxury, a self-centered and competitive impulse that is not so different from the 
acquisitive attitude that minimalism purports to reject. So, you know, it's saying that it's easier to be a minimalist in the way that many people think of it when you actually have a lot of stuff and when you have a lot of money, when you have a lot of financial privilege and you spent years just acquiring more and more and more and more stuff, you do reach a point where having less stuff is attractive. Uh, right. But you yeah, have and- to have more to find that less lesser lifestyle like really attractive. Yeah, because I think for most people, you know, it's one thing to, you know, get rid of like, you know, leftover newspapers or magazines laying right. around like getting rid of the the clutter and trash right that's one thing but to do this minimalism lifestyle that people are trying to promote you have to have the comfort in knowing that if you get rid of a bunch of your stuff you can yes. just buy it again if you do need it right and most people don't have that luxury right this this essayist goes on to say, it is rarely acknowledged by either the life hack minded authors or the proponents of minimalist design that many people have minimalism forced upon them by circumstances that render impossible a serene jewel box lifestyle. Nor do they mention that poverty and trauma can make frivolous possessions seem like a lifeline rather than a burden. Many of today's gurus maintain that minimalism can be useful no matter one's income, but the audience they target is implicitly affluent. The pitch is never about making do with less because you have no choice. Um, and, and I think that that like, is a very good summary of where a lot of our issues, yours and my issues with this this style of minimalism comes down to like there is if you are not in a privileged financial position to just I'm going to give away my things I'm going to live with so little but I I also know that I can't just go to Ikea and get something new when I need it like right there's a big difference between i am going to not have extra stuff just for the sake of having extra stuff versus like i'm just going to get rid of all my things but i can get extra things if i need them later right one of the things that they talk about in the documentary which i thought was weird was they mentioned the fact that like oh people have all these things they have boxes of you know mementos and they have boxes of holiday decorations and i'm like i okay i don't like have tons of holiday decorations but i do have holiday decorations and they make me happy right like the one thing that they never seem to talk about in these minimalism things is that it's not a frivolous thing if it brings you joy in your life right and that is it's it's honestly wild um you know and it's funny because this the writer that that wrote this article she actually starts off by saying like that she kind of fell down this rabbit hole because she read Marie Kondo's book Mm -hmm. and 
you know, sort of ended up on being that annoying person that shows up at her parents' house for the holidays and is like, does this bring you joy? No, it's gotta go. (laughs) Um, And so, like, but it sort of led her down this rabbit hole of, oh, okay, now I've done this, but also what did it do? And also, is this a problematic sort of movement because it's so focused on affluence and it is so heavily you know pushed by white voices like where is this leading um it sort of led down all of this you know figuring out what is really at the heart of minimalism as we think of it as a movement in the united states um and so yeah i just i think that there i don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with having things that make you happy like, so Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus, uh, the minimalists, they talk about their, their, like, the way that they came to minimalism or whatever, the way that they saw the light, basically. And I guess that Joshua had kind of gone, gone through this and suddenly he was just so much happier and that his best friend Ryan sat him down at lunch one day and was like, why are you so happy? And Josh was like, it's minimalism. Um, (laughs) Which is where I was like, oh my God, this is like a religion. Um, And so Joshua had gone through the process of sort of paring down his belongings over the course of a few weeks or a few months. And instead of taking that longer period of time to do that, Ryan was like, okay, dude, we're going to come over to my house. We're going to pack up everything I own as if I am moving. We're going to put everything in one room, all the boxes in one room. And then I'm only going to pull out of the boxes the things that I need over the course of three weeks. And then basically whatever was still in the boxes after three weeks, like, I guess he got rid of. Um, And, but he also, instead of, you know, just listing things like, you know, just your normal everyday belongings. He was also like, oh yeah. And then we packed up my art and my photographs and you know, the decor on my walls. And I only (laughs) pulled out the things that I needed over the course of those three weeks. Like I, I, I don't know about you, but like if I were to pack up all of my things, including the art that's on my walls and only the things that I actively need to use over the course of three weeks the art that's on my walls is not going to be pulled out but that doesn't mean that the art that's on my walls shouldn't be on my walls because it they it brings me joy right it makes me happy it creates a homey feel for my home I mean, there's a reason why art has been something that has been part of our culture for thousands of years. Right. Because we need it in our lives. Yeah. And like, what about like, okay, so you have a bookshelf of books. Obviously, over the course of three weeks, you're not going to read every book on your bookshelf or need every book on your bookshelf. But that doesn't mean that those books shouldn't be there just because you're not actively using them. And like, maybe... And, and granted, not every person is like us and has an overly large amount of books. I will admit I have a lot of books, but I like to surround myself with books. So I suppose the argument there would be, well, you just go to the library. I suppose, but 
I like having books that I can also abuse a little bit if I need to. <laughs> like, my copy of East of Eden is marked up to hell because every time I read it, I find something new and I, like, highlight and under... That's why I don't lend it out anymore because I'm like, no one else wants to read my copy of this book. Like, <laughs> when I have friends that want to read East of Eden, I literally go and I buy them a copy and give them a copy. <laughs> like instead of giving the mind so I don't know there's just like some of it I'm like mm, okay guys like you say it's fine to keep these things but then the way that you're living and that you're showing how you're living doesn't make it seem like you actually think that that's it's an okay thing I don't know it's it was it's just very weird and just at the end of the day I just had so I just have a lot of issues with this just I think the audience that they're talking to and the way that they are saying this is going to change your life if you just drop everything, quit your corporate job, start a website, and just live more simply. And not everybody has the privilege to be able to leave a job that they don't like or that doesn't make them feel fulfilled start like anyone can start a website but let me tell you you are not necessarily making a living off that website within the first year two years three years 10 years depends on the (laughs) website right Right. um like i know because i've known people that have just like uh, picked up they you know they lived in the city and they just pick up and they like buy a bunch of land out in the middle of nowhere and they quit their job and they just pick up and they move out to the middle of nowhere to like live off the grid. And all of those things, like if that makes you happy and you have the ability to do that, by all means, go for it. But I think we have to be really careful when, when we're talking about these things, like if we have any sort of a platform And we talk about these things like, this is the key to your happiness. What happens when when someone who does not have the savings, like not because they have been financially irresponsible, but because cycles of poverty have kept them down, they may not have the financial means to just quit their job move out to the middle of nowhere and live this quote simpler life Mm -hmm. or pick up everything and live in a van and drive around traveling around for a year. Like those are things that take an incredible amount of privilege to be able to do. And again, you want to do it. That's great. Go for it. But if you have a platform and you're saying like, this is the secret to unlocking your happiness what message is that sending to those people who just, it is not within their means to do that, that they're never going to be happy? I don't, I don't think that that's the right message to be sending. One thing that I feel like maybe they were trying to hit on in the second one, but didn't fully get there, partially because it's so short. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we talk a lot about trauma on this podcast Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of what they were saying about their history how Mm -hmm. they grew up um you know what led the guy to 
even start becoming minimalist was basically him dealing with yes. the trauma that he experienced as a child and yes. with his mother's death. And he doesn't really, he never says that, but I feel like that's really how I, he was able to achieve his happiness is because he confronted his trauma and he dealt with it in his I way. Literally, I literally, I was, <laughs> I was cross-stitching while I was watching this, which is why I wasn't texting you every five seconds as I was watching it. But I so kept, you could stab things while yeah, you were. I was like, stab, stab, stab. And I, pretty much the entire time I was watching the second one, I was like talking to the TV and I was like, or you could have gone to therapy. Like, if you had really gone to, like, a trauma-informed therapist, you could have unpacked all of this, like, without having to go down this route. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. okay, you did it, whatever. You found your life purpose great for you. But I agree. I think that so much of the how and the why – Joshua Fields Milburn like even started this process was to tackle the trauma in his childhood and I think that that is also why his friend Ryan did it as well like so they both grew up in had really tough childhoods they grew up in single parent homes with moms that were addicts and just like hard stuff grew up in poverty like hard stuff um and instead of really dealing with those things they were like i'm gonna get this corporate job and i'm gonna make tons and tons and tons of money and it's gonna make me happy and then they were like oh stuff doesn't make you happy gee hmm, what a novel idea <laughs> so weird so weird that stuff doesn't make you happy instead of earlier mm -hmm. saying like okay i think i need to go to some therapy and like works through some things I mean, I think that actually kind of brings up a good point. A lot of people do have that mindset. Um, I mean, I feel like, I mean, even to myself to some extent, like we didn't have everything that I would have wanted as a kid. Right. Uh, lots of, not necessarily like poverty, but it wasn't awesome. Right. Um, and so like when I became an adult and got a job, I was like, I can buy stuff. La, 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 la. Right. Which like, it didn't necessarily make me think that I was gonna unlock the key to happiness but right. it does bring you like a certain level of I mean aside from like comfort for sure right but just like there is a a, a bit of self-satisfaction I guess right have I made it now like mm -hmm. ah, yes yeah. yeah like did I did I tick off that box and like make make it in the world kind of right. thing right I thought one thing that I thought was also really interesting between the two was that between the two documentaries, I mean, is that they show their the places that they lived mm -hmm. in each one. And I remember that Joshua's apartment in the first one is like it's like a some an apartment that someone just moved into. Yeah, it looks with like nothing a at all. Jail cell. It has so few things in it. And it made me so sad and depressed. It did. So I, I it was white. Everything was white. There was like a ch a small table and maybe two chairs. There was like five things in his closet and a suitcase. And I was like, oh my God, there's nothing on the walls. But I noticed in this one, they both like have stuff. Yes. Like they look like they have real lives in their houses now. 
And I was like, oh, so they're still, I mean, they're, they're still talking about minimalism in this weird way, but also they clearly have grown as people and realized a little bit at least that people like have to find their own level of what actually you need in your life to make you right. function, first of all, but also right. happy. Right. Yeah. The one thing, so the one thing in the second one that they talked about, you and I chatted a little bit about this earlier today, but the one thing in the second documentary that they talked about that they didn't really touch on in the first one, um, that, I, that did resonate with me. So Joshua, his mom passed away from cancer. And after she passed away, he was going through her apartment and was like trying to figure out what to do with her stuff. And he initially like got this big U-Haul and was going to take it back to his place. And then he sort of realized like, what am I going to do with it? Like, I'm just going to end up putting it in storage and I can actually like probably bring more joy to other people if I, by, you know, letting her friends come and take things that are, you know, significant or memorable to them by, you know, donating things, um, giving things away, you know, stuff like that and really paring down instead of just taking all of his mom's stuff and just taking it back and putting it in storage. Um, and that really resonated with me because I have a storage unit full of my mom's stuff um, that I still have not opened it's the stuff's been sitting there for almost three years um and i still haven't opened it and now that megan is here in town like we've talked about like once the it's spring and the weather is nice like she's gonna go and help me go through it um and so and i and i texted you i was like okay i want you to remind me of this when we go through my mom's things like because i know there's gonna be stuff that i'm gonna be like I feel like I have to hang on to this because it was significant to my mom, Mm -hmm. but it may or may not actually be significant to me. And so that reminder that I might actually pass on more joy by, you know, either giving things to some of her best friends or by, you know, donating things or, you know, whatever it might be letting go of those things might give someone else the same joy that my mom had from it that I might not get from it. And that might in turn actually give me more joy from it. Um, And so that, that really did resonate with me. um, But a lot of the other crap did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think that's actually a really good point because uh, I think many of us um, when a loved one dies and you are left to deal with their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that huge guilt factor of like, well, you know, it, they whatever it is, you know, they love that ceramic pig. Mm-hmm. I hate pigs, but I got to keep that ceramic pig kind of thing when mm-hmm. you, you don't need to just because they owned it. Right. First of all. But there might, you know, even if it's, even if it's somebody that you don't know, like, if you have an estate sale or something, there might be some person out there who freaking loves ceramic pigs. Right. That could be that literally that the ceramic so pig that makes their collection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, like, I know my mom had all of these dolls, and I don't I don't really want them. 
I hate dolls, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there might be one or two that I end up keeping that are whatever. Um, maybe not. But I know that there are people who really love them and collect them. And my mom had some really beautiful ones, and she took care of them and, you know, had them in, like, a, a cabinet or whatever. It sounds really creepy. It, it never creeped me out as a kid, so whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, but um, maybe because I grew up with them, so they never freaked me out. Anyway, that's beside the point. But, like, I'm sure there are people who would love to have them, and it would bring them a lot of joy to have them. And so that'll be something that is hard for me to let go of because I know how much my mom loved them. But I have to recognize somebody else can probably get more enjoyment out of them than I will. And, like, hanging on to them and thinking, like, well, maybe my daughter will love them someday. Like, they're just going to continue to sit and then somebody else is going to have to deal with them. Like, mm-hmm. is there something I can do with them right now? I actually have this conundrum with – I have my mom's wedding dress and my wedding dress, it like, preserved in their boxes under the guest bed in the room that I'm in right now as I'm recording this. And, like, I, I don't – it's not like I'm, like, hanging on to them because I'm, like, maybe Eden will want to wear my wedding dress someday. It's really more like I don't know what else to do with them. They're just sitting in boxes right now, and I need to f- come up with something I can do with them. Like, maybe that means I end up cutting them apart somehow, but that maybe that's okay if I'm coming up with a different way to enjoy them. And those memories or capture yeah. those memories as opposed to just having them sit untouched in boxes for another 30 years. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most married women have the same problem. Of like, <laughs> right. What the fuck do I do with this wedding dress? Right. Like, and I mean, I could probably like, if I let go of my wedding dress, it's still in style enough. Like, and it was pretty, it was pretty, like timeless I guess or whatever but like I could probably sell it and someone else would really love it it's a beautiful dress um it was you know really well made and stuff my mom's is from the 80s no one wants it (laughs) um like if I'm gonna do something with that one that one's probably the one that I'm gonna like cut up and figure out something to do with but yeah like it's stuff like that where I think that we have these things that like have great memory And, and one of the things that this guy did say was like just because you let go of something that has a memory attached to it doesn't mean you're losing the actual memory. Mm-hmm. So, which is not to say, like, I think we should get rid of all of our family photos and, like, all of those little mementos. But I I mean, I experienced this a little bit with um, by sharing the role of mother with Taylor's with Taylor Eden's birth mom um I try to send things to her that have significance so you know I sent her the outfit that Eden wore home from the hospital um which is something that a lot of moms would keep um you know, because it's got that memory attached to it. I was like, I still have that memory. I got the privilege of being the one to take her home from the hospital. The least that I can do is share a little something with Taylor. 
Um, and so, you know, recognizing like, just because I'm letting go of this thing, doesn't mean I'm letting go of that memory. So I don't know. I think there's like finding a balance between those things. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I am not like, a super super sentimental person and I think one of really the reasons, Megan I hadn't noticed I know that about so crazy <laughs> I think one of the reasons is that I don't have a lot of the things from growing up yeah like I have like a box and it has like my yearbooks from high school mm-hmm. like my letter jacket letters because I never got an actual jacket <laughs> um and like a few other things and that's like it so that is basically like you know, 18 years of my life in this, like, tiny box. Right. And I don't have any stuff, like, from my parents' house. Like, I just got my grandmother's china. Yeah. Like, a couple of months ago. And I have, like, one thing from my grandfather that he made me. I don't have anything from my other set of grandparents. Mm -hmm. It's, like, very odd for normal people to, like, not have any of this stuff. But I think – think that that's I don't think that's totally abnormal because I know other people that are like that and so I think it's interesting because I think you sort of uh, in some ways sort of take on that like if you didn't have a mom who hung on to things and was super sentimental about stuff like you're probably not going to be as likely to be super sentimental about stuff just because that's not what you grew up with whereas I had a mom that was super sentimental (laughs) hung on to there is probably in that storage unit we will probably uncover bins of my school projects and we're gonna be well, like I mean great here are bins of <laughs> school projects for when she was in the third grade <laughs> I mean like my dad has a bunch of stuff from the from the house where we grew up mm-hmm. and when when I was growing up we had stuff from my mom's dad's house like all over the house so yeah. like it's not like they didn't have the stuff. It just never, like, when I moved out. It just didn't travel with you. I was, yeah, because I, I get partially because, like, I was going to college. Yeah. And then, like, I, right when they, like, m- kind of, like, was around the time of they moving out of that house. Mm-hmm. Like, I was getting married and starting my own life. And, like, the idea of, like, having any of that just never really came up, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um but I do have, like, like the things I just mentioned, like, I have a few mementos, so it's not like I don't hold on to anything. Right. But I hold on to, like, the thing that might embody the person that it's from, and right. that's the thing that I care about. It's yes. not like, I'm going to keep every single greeting card I've ever gotten, right. which is, just would be obnoxious. <laughs> I know people that do that, and we're just like, where do you put it? I have a lot. I have a number of years of Christmas cards, like, in the box with my, my Christmas stuff. And at some point, I'm just going to have to be like, why do I have these? Like, I got to let these go. But then I, but then I also have um, this little ceramic purple cow that my great-grandfather gave my great-grandmother, and she cherished. And so, and, like, when my grandmother was moving out of her house it was around the time that my mom was sick and my grandmother asked her like what do you want and the purple cow was like the only thing my mother really wanted and because she knew how much her grandmother my great-grandmother had cherished it and so like that's one of the few things I have that it like has a place of honor like 
nobody messes with a purple cow. And everyone can think the purple <laughs> cow is weird, but I love the purple cow because it to me like it embodies my great grandmother and the love that she had for my great grandfather who I never got to know like just all of those things so I think like I don't think there's anything wrong with having a little like if you have something that just to you like to you it's just reminds you of that person Mm -hmm. like I don't think there's anything wrong with hanging on to that thing even if it's not quote useful this Ceramic purple cow is not useful in any way. <laughs> but, oh, woe to the person that tries to pry that purple cow out of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I just, I think that there's a lot of stuff. I think there's a lot of good things that, like, these guys and other people who sort of preach this minimalism like I don't think that their intentions are bad I want to be really clear about that I don't I don't think they're trying to be douchey I don't think they are either I think they're I think it's clear from the second one for sure that like this is something that really did change their lives Mm -hmm. and they just believe in it so passionately that it just comes off a little weird right. <laughs> when they try to talk about it. Right. Um, which I think is the case for anybody who is like super into some subject and you're just like, yeah. oh my God, she's talking about cheese again. Right. Stop. <laughs> but cheese did change my life, Megan. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I got distracted by mentioning cheese. But she, you were like, ah, oh, cheese. I mean, I think, what, I think what you're trying to say is like, I think that anyone who has their life changed by a thing is going to be very passionate about the way that they talk about it and maybe to the point of annoyance. Um, Yeah. And, but I, I also think that again, like maybe this is just a lesson in thinking about how we frame things and considering our own privileges when we talk about things that like have really been impactful and like life changing for us Mm -hmm. Um, because our privileges, no matter what they are, whether it is race or financial stability or, you know, that being able-bodied or any number of things can play into why something has changed our lives and why it was able to or why we were able to do that thing like maybe we can just acknowledge what our privileges were instead of trying to say this will absolutely work for everybody without recognizing that there may be some privilege in why we were able to do that thing Mm -hmm. I also want to bring up one other mini subtopic on this yes before we wrap up and that is tiny homes oh my god <laughs> i feel like minimalism and tiny homes are really wrapped up together oh my god they are so wrapped and up together the- sheila i know you're listening <laughs> sheila is my mom's best friend she's a lot to say on tiny homes and she listens to our podcast hi sheila i love you i know you're listening oh my god tiny homes it's not so much the tiny home. It's the it's people the, that buy the tiny homes. 
it's the, I feel like it's the way it's a, it's the privilege factor again. Yes. Like I, I saw a meme the other day that has been going around where every, I think it comes around every every few weeks or so someone revives it on Twitter where they're basically like, oh, what is something that is trashy if you're poor and classy if you're rich? And immediately I was like, tiny homes. Yes. Because a tiny home, if you're rich, is like a fancy, bougie, amazing thing. Yes. And if you're poor, it's a trailer home. Right. Because that's what they are. They're trailer homes. They are. They are trailer homes. And, and there's nothing wrong with a trailer home well, and at I think, all. I mean, I think minimalism is similar, just like in that way, that not having a lot of stuff is really cool if you do it with the right aesthetic but if you're not doing it with the right aesthetic then you're just poor right like and so i think that how are how are we viewing those things like are are we saying that suddenly it's cool because and it's minimalism because it's done with the right beautiful aesthetic that you probably spent a lot of money on or is it not cool to just be like poor and just not have a lot of stuff and to live in a trailer? Right, exactly. That's also, like if you are uh, buying a tiny home, if you're going to be a douche and buy a tiny home, <laughs> please do not go on tiny house hunters and then be like, but where's the closet and where's the bathtub in every fucking tiny home that you see? I have never watched the oh show. God, don't. But I mean, do I feel like that would make me so mad? Oh my god! I like do, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> I just I get so annoyed by the people. I mean, I also get annoyed. I get annoyed by the people that go on house hunters. Period. The people that go on international house hunters are annoying because they go to like Europe. And they're like, why is there not a giant walk-in closet? Like, I don't know. Why do I have to take the stairs? Because you're buying a house. You're buying, like, an apartment in Spain, you dummy. Like, It's they right off the piazza. Shut up. Right. Like, they don't have that. Um, and the, <laughs> the people that buy tiny homes and go on tiny house hunters are also the same. Because right. they are like, I want, just want to get rid of everything and live a simpler life in 200 square feet and they say like they'll be like i want the maximum amount of space for my house to be a maximum of 250 square feet and then they look at all of these tiny homes and they're like but it doesn't have much closet space or it doesn't have a bathtub and i'm like bro lady you just want to go live in a hotel room yes like, and that's fine. And that's just go fine. live in a hotel room. Just go to a hotel room. But again, like, I mean, yes. And, and I and I don't think there's anything wrong with downsizing. There are absolutely times where if you are living beyond your means and you're like, and you are, what is it? What do they call it? You're like house poor or house, house poor. rich or something. House poor. Yeah. Basically, you're paying way more on your mortgage than you can afford. Mm-hmm. then by all means downsize if that is you know something that you feel like you need to do and it is within your means to downsize and get a home that still works for your family and your lifestyle and is more in your budget by all means do that 
But so often the people who are buying tiny homes are doing it because of the aesthetic. And like, I just want to be one with nature and I just want to travel around all the time and I just want to do blah, 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 blah. And again, like Megan said, if you're not rich and you're doing that, then you're just white trash in a trailer. Yeah. By basically most of what (laughs) our culture (laughs) would say. So I don't know. I just, I think it's important to look at some of these things critically and are we doing it because it's really better for the environment and you know, it's really something we believe in or are we doing it because of the aesthetic? If you're doing it for the aesthetic, like go for it. But can like, like, can we just be honest about that? Yeah. I think any big change you want to make in your life, that that's the kind of, those are the kind of questions you need to be asking yourself anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things where that could apply to aside from minimalism where it's just like, you know, I just moved across the country. Right. And I, but I wasn't like, I'm going to be so much more happier if I move across the, I mean, I am happier because I live at, two seconds away from you right and that's amazing (laughs) well but you also like you also said you were straight up like we had a like you had a really nice house in austin mm -hmm. it was a very nice new construction home but you also were really honest about the fact that like the aesthetic of the home wasn't didn't feel like your forever home and that moving into this historic house that you know has a lot of charm and history in it like that felt more like your forever home Mm -hmm. you weren't like oh well I'm just I'm gonna just gonna save so much money like you I mean yeah your mortgage is probably a lot cheaper here than it was in Austin but (laughs) yeah (laughs) but also like you straight up were like the aesthetic of this home feels more like home to me yeah, that's true. But also at the same time, I was not like, moving into this home will solve all of our problems. Right. It's the same thing where people, you know, if they're having marriage issues and they're like, having a baby will solve oh God, all right. of our problems. And I'm like, yes. actually, you're just making more problems. Right. Uh, yeah. and it, for, but for with minimalism, it's that is a, something that you have to think about, especially when it comes down to like what we said before, like, if you're getting rid of all your stuff, what do you do when you actually need that stuff again? Right. That is something that you have to plan for. Right. Being Figuring out how to live within your means so you don't have financial stress so that, you know, maybe you are the type of person where clutter makes you very stressed and anxious. Like, figuring all of those things out and living in a way that isn't stretching you financially, isn't stretching you mentally, mm-hmm. I think is really important. But just going into like, I'm going to get rid of all of my things and it's going to solve all of my life's problems. Like, maybe try therapy first. And I and I don't say that like, that's, that's not even like a throwaway statement. Like, I actually mean like, maybe try some therapy. <laughs> And see, like, maybe do you have some unresolved trauma? Like, what what do we what do we have going on here? Like, what else might be going on? Yeah. 
Like maybe it's not all of your stuff. Maybe it's something else happening. Right. right. Yeah. I don't know. So I think the TLDR version of this is like, if this is the right lifestyle for you, that's great. But like with any big lifestyle change, maybe be honest about what it's like the reason that you're doing it really figure out why you're doing it and is that actually going to solve the problems you think it's going to solve and if you have kids godspeed oh godspeed (laughs) you are the one of those weirdos who's going to live in a tiny home with your three teenage children and your two big dogs Yeah. And you think that your teenagers are going to be cool with that. Or you think that you're going to be cool with that after like a week. Like I have one teenager and he has his own room and he is smelly. (laughs) I would not want to live in a tiny home with three teenage boys. (laughs) Sounds so horrible. Yuck. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. So... Anyway, that those But are if some, you are interested in minimalism, like watch those documentaries. Watch the documentaries. Although, yeah, I, I don't know that you need to watch both of them. The second one repeats a lot of the stuff that the first one did. But in, Yeah, I do think the second one maybe is a I mean, I don't know. It's hard there's pros and cons to both of them. Maybe do watch both of them and then message us and tell us what <laughs> you thought. Because if you go on IMDb, the second one does not have great ratings from users because they're basically like, you said the same thing you did the first time, but douchier. <laughs> and I'm like, I like you people. <laughs> yeah, I do wish they had talked more. Like, I, I thought it was going to be different. Um I like that they had other people that they talked to, and it would have been nice if they talked to more of those other people because it would have been like a more like – these people took it on and this is what happened kind of thing whether that instead of just like a two-second interview with them so yeah this is yeah and these other two guys talking about how you're gonna change your life with minimalism in a very youth pastory kind of way i don't know i just like i bless their hearts godspeed to them but no thanks it's not for us it is not for us we will (laughs) we will keep the things you know what we'll keep the things that work for us and discard the things that don't (laughs) and a lot of this will be discarded (laughs) we'll put it in our Marie Kondo pile yeah we'll put it in our Marie Kondo this did not bring me joy pile that's right (laughs) it's fine but what is bringing you joy Steffi I actually have things that are bringing me joy this week like i don't have to sit here and think oh shit what was bringing me joy i forgot it um (laughs) it's wild um so i mean talking about the purchase of more things and those things being books um i just got the mina lima edition of harry potter and the sorcerer's stone so mina lima they are uh graphic designers out of london i think and they do some really beautiful stuff i've heard their shop is like incredible but you can't get out of there without spending like an entire paycheck because 
it's just like such a rabbit hole of beautiful expensive things but they did a new illustrated version of harry potter and the sorcerer's stone and it is gorgeous and i just got it you can get it at target i think they have it at barnes and noble too you can get it on amazon too But it's illustrated, but then it also has these, like, sort of interactive elements. Um, So, like, the letter that Harry gets, his his Hogwarts letter, like, they've got a little thing that, like, folds down and then, like, unfolds. And it's the, like, parchment of the letter. Um, There's, like, later in the book where with the chess set, there's, like, a... 3d chess set that like folds out like there's just it is so beautiful and we have the illustrated like the big illustrated sorcerer's stone or whatever um for for eden but this one is mama's book because it is beautiful (laughs) and she's not gonna get to handle it until she knows how to handle books with respect I think I was, you were showing me a video of you like flipping through it and I was thinking it'd be a really good idea for me to get because partially I don't like the art in the original American versions. Actually, the second half of the series, I have the British adult version because I hated the art so badly. That's funny. Uh, But I, Max is at the age where I want him to start reading them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think he's at the level where like the first one would be okay for him to read by himself uh-huh. but the books themselves you look at them like they just look like a really big fat book yes and so I think this would be like a really good way to like get him into it yeah. because it has all this interactive stuff it and is there's really... all these like cool pages yeah and it's just like even the there's definitely there's illustrations on a lot of the pages but even the illustrations or the pages that don't have like pictures like just there's like beautiful like kind of gilding around the edge and the paper just feels really nice like I do I feel like seven or eight is like a good age would be a good age to start like interacting with this particular edition um Mm -hmm. and like appreciate all of like the pretty things and the cute things so I I'm I'm like gonna I've read this book bajillions of times and I'm absolutely gonna reread it just because I want to see all of the pictures and all of the little interactive elements so that came in the mail today and I was very excited to open it (laughs) um, because I just yes I have I think that I now have four copies of Sorcerer's Stone somewhere in this house um but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's fine <laughs> I was gonna go I was gonna try to go to this store when I was in London uh last year and I didn't get the chance to go it made me so sad I mean you probably would have come back really poor so I, it's true I mean I bought a lot of stuff when I was there the first time anyway so there's and they actually <laughs> so they actually also have I I think that they've done because I was I kind of fell down the rabbit hole I think that they have done some versions of other classics Mm. um like it looks like there might be of like peter pan jungle book beauty and the beast i think there might be maybe some um like fairy tale books so i'm actually kind of interested in maybe looking and seeing what other like classics they've done as well um to get just because they're really beautiful yeah their art is lovely so very nice so anyway, what is bringing you joy, Megan? 
Um, well, uh, we kind of we already talked about this a little, obviously, uh, with my dog. Um, and it's not necessarily it's not specifically that my dog is bringing me joy, but seeing my kids with the dog is bringing me a lot of joy. They've never had a dog before. Um, in my like no, no, no one else in our family has a dog and they don't really get hadn't really gotten to interact with dogs very much in their lives and they love this dog it's so much so cute. they're both like they're always trying to get her to like lay on them to take naps and they're always snuggling with her and it snowed last week so i showed uh, Max how you could like make snowballs and she would chase after them like they were a real ball so uh, cute and like it was just really cute and fun that he loves to play with her and he like likes to feed her and let her out and like take care of Max her Max is a really excellent dog owner he's a very good dog owner and then and he's at the a same really day, good age for that like to be learning that responsibility yeah I think it's partially because he can. Like with the cat, there's all this extra work involved. Right. But with the dog, he he's can just do it. Old and needs medicine. <laughs> right. Like that, yeah. Um, but then, like Max had played fetch with her with the snowball, and then the state like later on when Reese woke up because he's a teenager and just rolls out of bed whenever, um, he went out and he was throwing snowballs with her, and I was watching him watch her. And, like, the smile on his face was, like, so heartwarming. And I was like, I'm so glad we got a dog. <laughs> yeah, she's a, she is a, such a sweet dog. But, yeah, your kids she's, are. Yeah. Because um, it was funny because uh, before you got her, like, if we were at your house for dinner, Max would be like, well, why – why weren't why aren't we at Steffi's house? And you'd be like, it's because you want to see the dogs, isn't it? And he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what to do with them, but I really like them I and like I want them. to be around them. <laughs> yeah, it's so sweet. It's and, and having Anya over there, like she, Anya's so annoying, and she finds <laughs> she finds like middle-sized kids to be suspicious. Like babies are fine, big mm-hmm. kids are fine, but Max's age, she's like, I don't know what they're gonna do, and they make me nervous. And so, like Max, if he moves too fast, she'll like bark. But she also loves Max, and he's, like, learned that he can just, like, come over and, like, pat her on the head, and she'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, and, like, give him a kiss. <laughs> and he's, like, really good with her, and it's just very, very cute. I love it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's pretty great. And also, my husband, who was like, we don't need a dog. Oh We're not going to get a dog. Uh, gives her hugs and kisses multiple times a day, and always talks baby talk to her, and loves to give her baths. So. It is precious. I yes, mean, I knew was, that's yes. what was going to happen. Oh, of course. It's always the person who is the biggest doubter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we need the dog. And then I look over and they're like, oh, no, I just don't know about it. You're like, uh-huh, yeah, we didn't uh-huh. need the dog? Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Well, next week, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we will be talking about diet culture with a special guest. Yes, we are. So in the meantime, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us with your, on your favorite platform. You can follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at I'd rather stay in podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Bye.